It is the people that want attention the most. They're the ones that get it the least. It is the loudest person in the room that is usually the weakest. Those who are self-empowered, self-positioned, and self-promoted are usually the underachievers in life, right? It's those people that will just over-promise and under-deliver. The self-promoter, they, they want set success right now, right now, and they want it big, and they just want it to just bam, boom, wow, be handed to them. They don't want to work for it. They don't want to prepare themselves for it. They don't want to strive for it. They don't want to journey for it. They just want it handed to them right then and there. I, I, I'm not old, but I, I feel like I'm from like a, a new, an older generation than the one here and now. See, back in the 80s and 90s, kids would talk about how they would improve themselves, what they would do to better themselves. But nowadays, I hear kids, all they want to talk about is what they're entitled to and what can be given to them and what, <laughs> you know, what program they can get into. Now, these principles, they do apply to business. They do apply to career. They apply to just life in general. But what I'm really talking about is ministry, the work of God. And I think the real question that the church is having to ask itself is when we approach the ministry, do we have a real burden for the work of God or rather a burden for ourselves, ourselves to be seen, ourselves to be heard, ourselves to be promoted? You know, summertime is here, and I'm so glad. I'm excited about this summer. And it looks like a lot of districts, they're opening up their camps. They're opening up their conferences. They're doing the big things here. And you know it, there's always going to be one service dedicated to the call of God. Who will go? Who will minister? Who will go forth and win souls? Who will make disciples is really a better question to ask. And I get it. I, I've done that. It's smart. We got to do this as preachers. We got to do this as men of God. You know, it's, it's the throwing the net out approach. You know, you try to draw in as many people as possible to get them to commit to do something for God. And, you know, the, the preachers, they're saying it to everybody out there. I mean, everybody out there from every walk of life, every different kind of attitude, different spirit, different whatever, and the preachers are saying it, and they're screaming it, and they're sweating it, and they're snarling it, and they're snorting it. Get ready, get ready, get ready to be used. You are chosen. You are called. God is going to use you mightily. You will do great things. You know, then you have the uh, dreaded a single girl get up there and talk about missions and she'll scream and shout and holler all these poor people who will go all of these starving hungry people who will go you know then you got the uh the organ player over there starts leading everybody if you can use anything lord 
you can use me. You know what I'm talking about. And everybody runs forward and everybody just assumes this means that next week we're going to get phone calls to be conference preachers. This means next week when we go home, we're going to get a solo in church. This means next week my pastor's going to give me a title, and my picture and my name and my title is going to be seen right there on our church webpage. I mean, that, that, that's just the way it's preached. That's what ministry is. <laughs> it's the pulpit. It's the solo and the title that's being used of God mightily. Uh, no. And, and it's sad when kids come home from these camps to their church, no pulpit, no solo, no title, and they're wondering, did I miss it? Did I miss the call of God? Uh, what happened? Where did I go wrong? Well, Justin Gleason, the podcast host who you love and you trust, is going to explain it to you here. Look at what Jesus said in Luke chapter number... 14 and verse number 7. So he told a parable to those who were invited when he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, when you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, give this place to this man. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place so that when you, so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Every young, aspiring guy or girl that wants to be in the ministry, you need to highlight that in your Bible. You need to get very familiar with that parable, that teaching in Luke 14, verses 7 through 11. You want to be promoted? You want to be used? You want to be a leader? You want to inspire others? You want that pulpit? You want that solo? You want that title? then you need to sit in the lowest seat possible. That's right. And now back then, you know, they had certain seats that were like given to honor. You know, we kind of do this nowadays, you know, like the head of the kitchen table. You know, I know my dad sits at the head of our table. Never would I sit in that spot. That's dad's spot, patriarch of the family. Uh, Never would my brothers sit there. I don't even want my children sitting there. That's papa's spot. I mean, even in the living room, the comfy chair, unless uh, Papa is nowhere to be seen, uh, that's the only time I would ever sit in that chair. That's his chair. Grandkids crawling up on his lap. I don't sit in that chair. And the same thing in church. You know, you have maybe on your platform or maybe your front row a place where the pastor and guest preacher sit. Uh, Literally, don't sit there. You're probably going to be asked to be moved. (laughs) And I have seen this happen. Oh, yeah. I have seen people walk in. Uh, sometimes we'll have conferences, conferences here, come up, put their Bible right there in like the VIP seating. And then one of our ushers, one of our security says, uh, that's reserved for somebody else. Uh, please move. And we put a, a, a guest speaker's wife there. <laughs> 
some big guy, well, a big guy thinks he's great, <laughs> thinks he's a preacher, thinks he deserves a spot up there next to Brother Stone King or something, puts his Bible there, goes and walks around the whole church, prays for 20 minutes before service real loud, talking in tongues, clapping his hands, thinks he's going to sit by Brother Stone King only to come back one of the security says, uh, you can't sit there and the whole place is filled up and we have a folding chair in the very back for you. I have seen this happen. True story. This is how ministry works. You start low and watch others promote you. That's how it works. And I, I learned this at a young age, and I'm so glad I did. And I'll tell you who I learned it from. I learned it from my a, le, a lesson taught by my dad, but exampled by my cousin, Pastor Paul J. Pamer. Back in the mid-90s, Pastor Paul was in his early 20s, and I was in my early teens. And, and we're cousins. We're cousins. We share uh, grandparents, Charles and Marcella Dyson, who have already gone on to be with the Lord. Can't wait to join them in heaven. So all our family would get together down there in Little Rock, Arkansas, and uh, we would go to the local apostolic church there. And it was always around Christmas time. And if, if you've grown up in church, you know anything about church, uh, Christmas time is sweet, it's special, it's cute, but it's really not really churchy, you know. Uh, <laughs> rarely is there like a sovereign sweeping move of God at Christmas time. It's, it's just the mood we're in, you know. And it's, and it's really just a sweet, special time, you know. It's, it's the time to think of our Lord as a baby. It's just how it is. And uh, usually pastors don't like to preach during that time. They usually let guest speakers, you know, pastors got his mind on just kind of taking a break, you know. And during that time, the pastor of the church at the time called up uh, Pastor Paul and said, I want you to preach this service. You know, he's in his early 20s. He's uh, in Bible college, you know, give him an opportunity. So all our family comes in. We sit down kind of in the back, you know, we're just just there, family visiting grandma, you know. And, and I see Paul. My cousin walk in. I knew he was scheduled to preach, and I was actually really excited to hear him preach. You know, I look up to Paul. Paul's awesome. Paul's great. Still do. Still look up to him. And I, I watched him walk in, and this was one of those churches that had enormous platform chairs. I mean, big, high back. Look, looked like British royalty, you know. They really did it right. And I saw him walk in, and instead of Paul walking up to the platform, he walks up and sits at the front row. I mean, he's just sitting there on the front row. And I thought that was so odd, you know. I thought, man, uh, preachers need to sit on the platform, right? And uh, I just observed, and I watched in the middle of that song service. Uh, the pastor came down and said, and whispered into Paul's ear, and I could tell, I just knew what he was saying, come up and sit by me. And so he invited him up on the platform and put him in a very nice seat next to him. Time for the preaching came. Paul preached the house down, and we had a, a, a move of God there on Christmas Sunday. <laughs> yeah. Then we went out and enjoyed the great taste of Arkansas, some fried fish. Mm. So after a few days, I asked my dad about that. I said, Dad, why didn't PJ go up there and sit on the platform? Why did he sit on the first pew? That's really interesting to me. That's not normal to me. And Dad said, Just let me tell you something. And he opened up his Bible, and he turned to Luke 14, and he taught me this principle. He said, when you're invited to go anywhere, you never go to the highest seat or the highest place. 
He said, you start small and you wait to be invited. That's what Paul was doing there. You know, to walk up on that platform is to be presumptuous and just assume that you're welcome into that place. Oh, no, that's, you know, the platform really is like a house. You know, you just don't go barging into somebody's house. You knock and you wait for the door to be open to you. That's how ministry opportunity works. You start doing small things like preaching Christmas Sundays. You know, Christmas Sunday is a hard thing to preach. You know, it's hard to prepare for that. You know, you got the food and you got the the presents and the family time. Who has time to prepare for a sermon? You know, you're going to have to give up some family time. You're going to have to get up some of the feeling of relaxation. You got to have the stress and the nerves of preaching. And Pastor Paul was willing to do that. He was willing to sit there in that front row spot, you know? And and if that pastor said, I want you to preach down in the altar area the entire service, you know what, Brother Paul, he would have done that. That's just how he is. He's done it right. And and can I I just, and I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying this, he's gone from doing things like that to now pastoring a phenomenal, a very successful church, great social media presence. Not only that, he is a conference speaker. I see his name and his picture on flyers everywhere. Bought, NAYC, major conferences. You think it was just like overnight, bam, Brother Mangan's calling him up and saying, hey, Brother Pamer, I want you to preach. Oh, no, it didn't just, (laughs) that's not where it started. It started from sitting on the front row and preaching in in a Christmas service. That is the lowly seat. I'm just here to tell you, as we begin this summer, as many of you are making plans and what you're going to do maybe this coming school year, preparing for education, preparing for ministry, things you're going to be doing this summer, all the conferences and revivals and things you have planned, you need to understand this. If you have aspirations to be in ministry, if you are called of God, and I trust that you are, I'm telling you right now, if you self-promote, get ready to watch yourself be demoted. You know the phrase in church, I got sat down. You know what that's code for? I did some major sins. Somebody was sinning, and the pastor said, oh, you're not going to be in the choir for, for a few months. And that's a good thing, you know. Uh, somebody, somebody gets uh, caught up into some fornication, some adultery, some uh, gossip, whatever. They need to be sat down. You need to humble yourself. You need to pray through and get your spirit right before you're back on that platform. Or really in any part of ministry, teaching classes, it, it, anything. You need to do that. But nowadays, it ain't just about getting sat down for sin. It's about getting sat down for self-promotion. This is Justin C. Gleason. You're here to listen, and I'm here to talk. Welcome back to the podcast. We're trying to keep God in the pod in the year of our Lord, 2021. So please consider subscribing, becoming a loyal listener. Make this podcast a part of your week. God gives us great content to present. Put your trust and your confidence in me. I won't let you down. Give a great review and rating. And share this episode with your friends. Contact me at justincgleason at gmail.com. Follow me at justincgleason on social media, Facebook pages, Instagram, and Twitter. Reference your episode notes for further details. Podcasting is the future. Humility is not what you do. It's what you feel. Mm, Billy Cole. You can get up and say, I am God's worst. I just really am nothing. 
and have so much pride and arrogance. That's right, Bishop. Or you can get up there in the anointing of the Lord and say, I'm here in the will of God. God's anointing is upon me. And you're thinking, God, I am totally dependent on you. If this works, it's because you're going to perform a miracle. That's Bishop Billy Cole in his message, When the Whole World Shall Know Him. Do you hear preaching like that anymore nowadays? You know, men of God get up and say, humility is not what you do. It's how you feel. (laughs) Ain't that the truth? You know, I can't tell you how many times I've operated in faith, boldness and confidence in God only to have somebody say, now don't go get in a big head now. And I'm looking around at all the miracles that have just happened in the altar, all the people getting baptized, you know, don't get a big head now. And it's always some pastor who's pastored 30 people for 30 years. You know, that's how small men treat big men. That's how a small man, an arrogant man, who has no accomplishments to speak of really in their life, comes up to somebody who just preaches faith, the Holy Ghost moves, and they got to come up and try to humble them. There is not a word in the Bible that teaches anyone to humble anyone else. Humility is something that we do ourselves. Self-humility precedes being exalted by the Lord. And this message that Brother Cole preached, I remember my dad bringing home preaching tapes for me when I was about 10, 11, 12 years old. And I I had trouble falling asleep at night, as most kids do. And I'd be up sometimes till 2 or 3 a.m. listening to these tapes that God, that that my dad would give me. And God would move in my bedroom at night. That's right. While other kids were up playing video games, I was up uh, late uh, listening to preaching. While other kids were sneaking, you know, into the living room and turning the on their little monitors and their Nintendos and the volume down while their parents were sleeping and they're trying to raid a dungeon, you know, Link trying to save Princess Zelda and conquer Ganon. I'm listening to preaching, and I'm kneeling down by my bedside praying, and I'm reading my Bible. That's right. Uh, you, you want to be used of the Lord? That's where it starts. That's the lowly place. It's learning to touch God and contact God and be interested in the things of God when nobody's looking and nobody is watching. That's really how you grow. That's really how you develop. You know, when God and ministry and God, Bible, and church and all of these things take over your daydreams, take over your imagination. When you look at your journal, what have you been writing about? Has it been about what movies you've been watching and social media and Hollywood this? Or do you write about what God has spoken to you in prayer? That's how you grow. That's how you develop. That's how you go from the lowly seat to the high seat. And if anybody understood this, it was Bishop William H. Cole. Brother Cole has also gone on to be with the Lord. He's in paradise now. Brother Cole, in his earthly ministry, as far as I'm concerned, you know, I haven't done an actual like professional consensus of this or anything, but from what I can see, Brother Cole, there has never been... Brother Cole... As far, as far as, how do I want to say this? I'll just say it. Brother Cole has seen more people receive the Holy Ghost than any person alive. 
with all of the Holy Ghost rallies he did here in America, all of the crusades he did overseas, he saw he's seen over a million people receive the gift of the Holy Ghost with his own eyes in his own meetings. Did it start out that way in his ministry? No. Started out in a very lowly place. He had to endure endure a life of pain, a life of struggle, a life of hardship. And it all paid off. I want to share a story that he wrote in one of his books. When he started his ministry in his, in his early 20s, uh, he was from West Virginia. And he got a tent and some chairs. That's how you evangelized back then. You know, when there was no church, you walked in and you set up your own church. And the best and easy way to do that was a tent. So he set up his tent, put some chairs out had a little pulpit, and he advertised as best as he could to that little city that had no apostolic church in West Virginia that, hey, Pentecost has come to your town. So when it came time for the revival to begin, there were only three people in that tent. Brother Cole, his wife, Sister Shirley Cole, and her friend. Brother Cole walked to that pulpit. His wife and her friend sat on the front row there. He walked up there with two things, his Bible and a songbook. And Brother Cole got up there and welcomed everybody to the first night of revival, and he said, I would like you to sing along with me from the hymnal, this song. And he looked down, and his wife and her friend began to laugh at him. And instead of laughing with them, instead of saying, hey, I know this seems silly, no, he rebuked them and said, how dare you mock revival? How dare you mock what we are going to do here? <laughs> Woo! And you know what? They got serious. And you know, he started to sing. He started to sing, and his wife started to sing, and her friends started to sing. And he said it's in his book, by the end of the second course of that song, that entire tent filled up with people from that city. Mm. Oh. And, 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 and from that revival, the church began there in that city, and it's there to this day. Praise God. That is the lowly seat. The start in a small town was small this, small that, to begin with absolutely nothing. But to cover it in prayer and to take it seriously and treat it as if it is something big and great. To sing, to preach, to do everything that you would normally do in a normal church setting. And watch God fill up that tent. That was a lowly place in some town that I, I can't even remember the name of the city. That's where Brother Cole started. That was his lowly seat. And can I tell you, it went from there in small town in West Virginia to Ethiopia in that great crusade. It went from a small tent to him, his wife, and her friend, and some simple town country folk filling up the tent, revival beginning. I don't know how many were there that night, maybe 20, 30 people in that tent. It went from that to half a million under a crusade tent in Ethiopia and seeing thousands upon thousands baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost and miracles and wonders and signs. The pathway to apostolic ministry 
is nothing that you really can make happen. Yeah, there are things you do. There's planning. There's organization. There's structure. There's a system to it. But you're not really going to accomplish it ever all on your own. You're not going to get it done by getting your foot in the door or kicking the door now. No. True ministry, as Jesus teaches in this parable, and true promotion and true honor is nothing that you self-promote yourself to. It is nothing that you make happen on your own accord, but rather you are summoned to it. You are invited to it. After all, isn't the ministry about being called? Isn't it about being chosen? It is. It's not go into the ministry. It's not make a path for yourself in the ministry. It's not you choose yourself for the ministry. It's not you go up to the ministry. Oh, no, it's something you are called to. It's something you are invited to. And when you come into the house, the wedding feast, which is the kingdom of God, and when it comes time for you to step into it and step part in into it, do you start out as the keynote conference preacher? No, you don't. You start in the back. <laughs> you start by listening. You start by being mentored. You start by being taught. That's how the call of God works. Let me tell you this. If you are called, chosen of God into the ministry, your pastor will know it. He sure will. You know who else will see it? Other men of God, guest ministers. They'll see it and they'll affirm it. Your job is to not affirm it. Your job is to not proclaim it. Your job is to be teachable, be mentorable, if that's a word. Your job is to soak it up and let God exalt you. That's how this works. That's how every great man or woman who ever has been used in ministry, they'll tell you, they'll say, I didn't get here on my own. Other people helped me get here. Other people gave me the chance. Other people gave me the opportunity. Not everybody is called to the pulpit. Not everybody's called to the solo. Not everybody's called to the title. There's so many other things to do to be used of God and to receive great reward in heaven for doing it. You look at Jesus' ministry. To many of them, while they were fishing, he said, follow me. To some, while they're at the tax table, he said, follow me. To some who were in the field, he said, follow me. But he didn't say, follow me to everybody. Look at the demoniac in Gadara, the man who uh, Jesus cast a legion of demons out of. Did Jesus say, follow me, follow me? Come here and tell your testimony to everybody? He said, no, he didn't. He actually said, stay here. And for reasons I won't get into. There's some people God does not say, follow me and grow and become great. No, no. Some people he just says, stay here and just proclaim to whoever you can and do what you must. That's the saying. Many are called, few are chosen. Everybody has the opportunity to be saved. But not everybody is chosen. That's what being called and chosen means. Called means be welcome into the kingdom of God. To be chosen means to become like fivefold ministry. It means to become a leader. It means to become a shining light for God in his kingdom. 
Most of you listening to this are chosen. This podcast attracts that type of personality. So I'm going to give you some applicable things you can do now uh, in approaching the lowly seat and being promoted to the high seat. If you're called of God, you're going to be given a little bit of pulpit opportunity. Back in the day, they called it fiery five or a little testimony. Uh, Yeah, that's good. But there's really not a lot of that nowadays. Nowadays, pulpit time is usually to give announcements or to usually give a promotion or maybe to introduce somebody. When you are given the opportunity for the pulpit, you need to stay in all of the specs that your pastor has given to you. All of the requirements, do everything he has asked. And usually the main thing that's important is timing. If he says 20 seconds, go 20 seconds. If he says three minutes, keep it at three minutes. If he says, I just want you to promote next week, next Wednesday, spaghetti supper and Bible study, that's all you're going to promote. This is the problem. We got guys who are sneak preaching during announcements. Maybe the pastor wants you to receive the offering, call for the ushers. You get up there and sneak preach. Um, you're not in the lowly seat. <laughs> Sneak preach, you know, and I, I can feel it right now. You're laughing right now because you know exactly the guy or the girl that's doing that in your church. The sneak preaching. Sneak preaching is a disaster. Sneak preaching does nothing for anybody. You know what sneak preaching is? It's look at me, look at me, look at me. Your pastor is not giving you an opportunity to have your voice heard and your face seen in the microphone in that pulpit. For you to sneak a sermon, to sneak a preach. That's his job. That's the job of the guest speaker. This is just a small invitation for you to get comfortable in front of the audience. Do only what is asked of you. That is the lowly seat. Another thing that people are doing nowadays, I think that's wrong, is they're putting the man of God on the spot. That's right. They're putting the man of God or the pastor's wife or the worship leader, whoever, on the spot, meaning... They come up to them at like a holy sovereign moment, and they say, I've got something to say. Can I say it? First of all, congratulations for asking, because there are people out there during altar call, they'll sneak up to that platform. I mean, people are praying. People are receiving the Holy Ghost. There's deliverance. There's miracles. People are getting baptized. And they'll run up there and just take that mic and just say, I feel I have something to say. My name is such and such, and I'm doing such and such, and I'm this and this and such, and I'm that and that and such, and this and that and the other. And everybody's like, you know, looking up with, you know, tears coming out of their eyes, you know, the Kleenex in their hand, feeling the anointing of God. And they look up and one of their eyebrows goes up and their mouth opens and they're like, what is this person doing? You've been in services like that. It's crazy. These people that just get this idea that it's time to get the mic. God's moving. I need the mic. I need the mic. So God bless you for asking at least, but they, and they know how to do this. And a lot of it's manipulation. There'll be a move of God and they'll come up to the pastor. Pastor, the Lord just spoke to me. I have a word to give. And they've not been assessed to be a prophet. They have not proven themselves to be submitted. They've not been tested. They don't meet the qualifications of a deacon. And they're putting their pastor, their pastor's wife, you know, to uh, uh, speak. Or you have uh, somebody, the worship leader gives them a solo for the choir part. You know, they sing their heart out, and it's great, and the song's like over. But that solo says, uh-uh, we're going to keep this song going. We ain't going to have no preaching tonight. 
they're not the leader. They're not in charge. But they just start singing a cappella and start patting their hand on their hip, trying to get that drummer and that organ player going again. And we're going to sing this song some more. And the pastor's over there <laughs> starting to go, uh, can somebody shut this person up? Sound person, can you turn the mic off? You know, we need we need signals uh, from, from, from the pulpit to the sound booth. Uh, j- just like uh, uh, a baseball manager does with his catcher and his pitcher, what pitch needs to be thrown. We need to get certain signals on how to shut off a mic. I'm serious. I'm gonna, after this podcast, I'm going to develop a signal. I, I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> a signal that's not that's really inconspicuous to the sound person to turn off the mic. Because there's been times where we need that mic just shut off. My goodness. These people that get the pulpit. Lord have mercy. And it's always, our church is good about that. We don't have anybody in our church that does that. It's usually a a first-time guest with a prophetic complex or an out-of-town guest at one of our conference that are just trying to look great. They put the man of God on the spot. They get that microphone, and they know good and well nobody's going to tell them to get down because it'll cause a scene. Well, nowadays, pastors are getting sick of it, and they don't care because we got Bible for it. Jesus said the host of that feast will tell you, get out of that chair. Sit down. Go sit in the back. That's right. You got Bible. That's how it is. It's a part of the the being humble process. Okay, so, yeah, the the pulpit and and the solos and stuff, wait. Wait your turn and only do what it is, is asked of you. Don't do any more. Just do what's asked of you. That's right. And watch. More opportunity will be given to you. Okay, the title. Uh, titles are in the Bible. Offices are in the Bible. Paul says, I magnify my ministry. I magnify my office. Uh, there, there's titles for that. It describes, you know, what somebody is. And a title. There's nothing wrong with titles. There's not. You got, you got to know what you're doing, right? A title sp- speaks of a position. It speaks of uh, what you're accomplishing and doing. So if you're young, a young preacher, a man or woman of God trying to really get going, do you want to make a name for yourself? Then make a name for yourself. Don't make a title for yourself. Uh, let other people make the title for yourself. Uh, introduce yourself with your name. Your name, your name, your name. Do not call yourself reverend. Okay, most people have enough sense to not introduce themselves. I'm pastor such and such. And when they're not pastor, they don't have that title. Sometimes they'll say brother or sister. That's, that's okay. But th- the reverend, what is that? The, the reverend title, I see that. People, they change their social media to, they get their license, and all of a sudden, they're the REV. Rev Bob Schmendrick. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> Calling themselves reverend. Let me tell you that reverend is code. It is code for somebody trying to look good, and really, they're all nothing. They have no position. They have no place of authority. They're not a leader. It's self-appointed, self-proclaimed men or women of God. Don't call yourself reverend. Take yourself too seriously and watch nobody take you seriously. Get the rev off of it. The only time I'm called reverend is maybe on a flyer somewhere I'm preaching. People don't know what to call me, and they, they love that title, so they put an REV period in front of my name. Okay, that's fine. But I'm not going to put that nowhere on my stuff. I'm not going to introduce myself in that way. Drop the reverend, men and women, especially the women like the reverend more than men nowadays for some reason. They love that REV period. Uh, your name is nice all on its own. REV doesn't make you look better. It doesn't make you look powerful. Uh, it actually makes you look like a doofus. I wouldn't do it if I was you. 
You want to go from the lowly seat to the high seat? Be proud of that name. Just be proud of your name. Okay. When you're in the pulpit, don't say it's an honor or privilege to be here. That, that's another thing that people are doing. You know what you're doing? You're self-exalting yourself. I'm honored. I'm privileged. This is a great opportunity. Wow, I can't believe I'm here. You know what you're doing? You're trying to make up for the lack of a long introduction. I mean, it's not your wedding day, for goodness sakes. You know, the wedding day, it's all about the bride, right? It is her day. Make her be seen. Make her be known. Make it special. Pictures, you know, handshakes, all of that. It's all about the bride. But when it's time for you to uh, give announcements, don't get up and say, I feel so honored and privileged today to be able to present to you uh, this uh, little Bible quizzing tournament that we're going to have next week and, and uh, the little trophies that we're going to get. I love Bible quizzing. Bible quizzing is great, but it's no time for you to be seen. It's no time for you to be heard. You know, you got a homeless ministry and you're up there promoting the homeless people and showing your uh, pictures of yourself, you know, sitting next to, to homeless people in with, uh, you can look in the corner, a big pile of feces and needles. You're talking about your ministry and, and, and bringing food to them and, and all of these things and really just promoting yourself and making everybody else feel bad because they're not doing anything for God. What is up with these homeless people ministries? They act like they're the only ones doing anything for God. Okay, uh, homeless ministry is meant to be a lowly seat, and people are trying to change it into a a uh, high seat. Look at me, look at me. And it's it, it, it. I don't care what you're doing. If it ain't about God, it ain't about nothing. If you're not talking about God, then shut up. Yeah, I don't care how much time you spend with the bums. I don't care if you're feeding them whatever. Make it about God. Make it about what God is doing and, and saying you're honored and you're privileged and all that. No, you need to be giving honor to your pastor. You need to be giving honor to God. You need to show appreciation and add value to the people. You do these things and you will be invited to the high seat. I'm telling you, it works. Okay, for spiritual ministries, people that are called to the gifts of the Spirit, uh, in my learning, my observation, uh, when it comes to prophecy, it, don't walk up on the platform in the middle of worship service and prophesy to an alto. I've seen people do this. They're doing it to be seen. They go up and prophesy to an alto, and, you know, they get the alto's attention. She's got to put the microphone down. You're prophesying. You make them raise their hands, and it, it's like worship is supposed to be upward on God, and it's, you're drawing attention to yourself. That's not the lowly seat. You know, why can't you prophesy to somebody on the back row? Why can't you prophesy <laughs> to maybe a husband and wife that are kind of going through it? Why can't you give a good word to somebody like that? And why can't it be before service or maybe after service? Why does it have to be right in the middle of worship service? Why? Why does it have to be that? Timing is everything. You've got a word from somebody. Don't do it where everybody can see you doing it. Privately. Privately. You do it privately, it's going to be about God. It's going to be about helping that person and not about yourself. Look, look, I could go on and on about these things. Let me give you some uh, specific places for the lowly seat. What, what is a lowly seat? Does it mean just sit in the back for the rest of your life and just wait? No, it doesn't mean that. Does it mean you know, sit outside? on a parking curb. No, it doesn't. 
it's the principle of it. You know, the high seat is the place of like pulpit, solos, titles, all of those things. And you know you're called to it. You know you're going to get there someday. How do you start out? Let me tell you how you start out. I, I won't go into how to get the solo because I don't solo, okay? <laughs> I preach. Let me tell you what God did for me as far as preaching opportunity goes. I did three major things. My three lowly seats was, was altar call ministry, opening and locking up the building, and researching content for my pastor. Those were my lowly seats. I learned to work the altar. I learned how to pray for people. I would really pay attention when evangelists would come by and teach these altar call seminars. Uh, Brother Eli Hernandez, who's gone on to be with the Lord. Phenomenal stuff. I remember him with those overhead projection slides, teaching how to pray for people in the altar. But uh, Brother Cole uh, taught those things. Other great men and women of God would teach you how to do that. And I did it. You know what? It worked. And that's really where spiritual ministry was imparted unto me. It was in the altar call. I learned how to hear from God. I learned how to minister to people. And that's where I saw people healed and cast out devils. It was, it was in the altar call. So learn to pray for people. Learn how to approach people. Learn, learn how to do it and be received, you know. Uh, let me tell you this, a lot of people think altar call is grabbing somebody by the head and, and just shaking their head, you know, giving them a, a herniated disc. Uh, look at what Jesus did. Usually he'd take people by the hand. Usually if they had a fever or sickness, he'd take them by the hand. That's what I do. Oftentimes he'd just speak to them and sometimes just lay the hand on the head. A lot of my altar call, I don't even touch people, especially nowadays with COVID-19 and all that. People are just still kind of finicky about that. You don't have to touch them. And Peter laid his shadow on people. Jesus spoke the word of faith. I do that. And I've seen miracles during this pandemic. And believe me, the word will get around. You start praying for people in the altar. If they get the Holy Ghost, they get healed. The word will get around. Opportunities will come. It's what happened to me. It can happen to you. Open up and locking up the building. I saw my dad doing this. And I came to him and I said, Dad, give me a key and let me do this. I want to do this for you. And I remember him looking at me thinking, I've never handed this off to anybody. I've always done this. And I said, let me do it. Let me do it. You, you, you know, you could talk to a bunch of people. Relax. I'll do this. You go ahead and you and mom go to the restaurant. Let me lock up. I'll join you all later. I'll text you what I want to eat so you can order it for me. Let me lock up. And he showed me all the doors, all the locks, got me a key, taught me how to change the thermostats, taught me how to turn off the organ. God forbid the organ player leaves that on and burns down the church. I remember that. He stressed that over anything. Dad's like... Justin, turn that organ off. Turn the organ off. Showed me how to drain the baptistry. Showed me how to turn off uh, the media screens if the sound of media people happen to forget. He said, if you see Kleenex on the ground, pick it up. You know, you, you, see, you see a spider, step on it. Kick it outside. Yeah. All these things. Check the bathrooms. Flush the toilets. Turn off the lights. Do all these things. It's amazing how many people don't flush nowadays. I'm serious. I don't understand that. It is, it, are people have become that hippie. You know, they don't believe in flushing. Don't flush, man. Be natural, man. Be human, man. I, I don't get that. So, yeah, I, we, I, I flush after people doing them bathroom checks. I, I don't get that. I, I don't, people are trying to be impressive. I don't know. I, I don't get that. But, you know, that's lowly seat. That's lowly seat. 
And then I asked, I told dad about some, uh, you know, he would preach and I'd, I'd, I'd send him some information that I found about something he preached and he liked that. And he said, and nowadays he'll ask me, you know, can you research this for me? He doesn't have time to research and go into encyclopedias and all this and that. And I'll research ideas for him. I do that. I still do all of these things, but that's how I really got started in my early 20s. It didn't start with me getting opportunities to preach on Sunday morning. Oh, no. I didn't get to preach on Sunday morning for a long time, and I'm the pastor's son. You know where it started? Teaching youth class. Altar call ministry. Opening and locking up the building. Doing a little research. Making phone calls and doing things for my pastor. That was the lowly seat, and I was promoted. I was invited to something greater. Praise the Lord. So wait for your pastor to identify your ministry. Don't go and talk to them. Don't put your pastor on the spot. Let your pastor put you on the spot. If you're an evangelist, don't call or text a pastor and say, hey, I've got an open date here this Sunday. Can I come preach for you? You're putting the man of God on the spot. He's not going to say yes. Matter of fact, he's going to go ahead and say, take that as a sign. You will never preach for me. Don't do that. Let other people invite you. Don't self-promote. Don't invite yourself. What, you think I'm kidding? I've got a Bible for this. Check it out. Acts chapter 13 and 15. Acts chapter 13, verse 15. Apostle Paul's in a synagogue. Did he stand up and start yelling and screaming at all the elders and all the people, you know, Jesus is Messiah? No. It says he waited, and he waited for the elders, the rulers of the synagogue, to give him an opportunity to speak. He did what Jesus taught. When you're in a place, sit in the lowly seat and wait to be invited to sit in a greater place. Wait to be invited to speak. Wait for the opportunity to come through somebody else. That's how ministry works. That's how the call of God is fulfilled. It's nothing you do yourself. You wait. Wait to be promoted. Our awesome general superintendent, Bishop David K. Bernard, really began to stress and to emphasize people getting their license, men and women. And I think that's great. I think if you are qualified, you have a desire for the greatest Pentecostal organization in the world, you should get licensed, you know, with your pastor's blessing and all of that. It's a great vetting process. When you're part of that, you have the blessing of the UPC. It's, it's a good chance you're a good person, you know. But we all know this, even amongst the best, you can find the worst out there, Yeah. Well, I, I, I noticed some people who are really ambitious to get that license uh, in my district, and that's great. I really didn't have ambitions. My pastor told, asked me to get my license, which you really sh- you should wait for your pastor to ask you to get your license. It's nothing you should pursue on your own. I, I really think that's a pastor thing. Anyway, so these people wanted to get their license, and, and they got it. They gave it to them. And I remember being at a section conference, and these people – I'm literally sitting in the back next to my dad and, and a few of my friends from other churches, and I watched these people come up and sit right on the front row. They walked in about three or four minutes late, and they walk in and sit on the front row. I mean, the presbyter's up there going over the minutes and stuff, and they walk in, you know, waving to everybody, dressing real loud, walking real loud, talking real loud, you know, and sit right on the front row. I'm like, are you serious right now? And oh, they were. It was their first time to be in a 
in a in a conference meeting like this to to be in a business meeting to vote. They got their license and they're ready to vote. I mean, there were tons of seats in the back. They could have sat right next to me. But no, they walk in right in the front row. There's like 60 licensed ministers there, and it's their first time there. They go and sit right on the front row. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> sure enough, they sat on the front row. You know what was funny? The presbyter looked down, raised up his eyebrows, saw what was going on, and he mentioned, okay, uh, it's time to, for elections. You can only vote if you have been seated, if you have been seated to vote. And I watched this, these people turn and look at each other, and they're like, oh, no, we haven't been seated to vote. <laughs> That's the way some bylaws are. Just because you're licensed doesn't mean you get to vote. You have to be seated to vote in certain settings. And that presbyter said, in this section here of the auditorium now, is only for seated voters. Everybody else, please, please go and sit somewhere else. You know, because they got to pass out the ballots, you know, to keep it honest and stuff, right? So I watched these people get up with their heads down, completely humbled, and went and sat in another section. Matter of fact, they ended up getting up and leaving. They were so offended. <laughs> I'm telling you. Jesus knows what he's talking about. The Bible is real. Sit in the lowly seat. Our youth pastor, we had a, uh, a special youth service, invited a bunch of other churches. The place was packed. This is uh, back around the wintertime. Young people just hungry for God. Powerful worship, powerful service. Well, there was a girl visiting from another church uh, who brought the boyfriend. The boyfriend from from out of state, out of town, wherever he's from, and uh, he, you know, he's he's a called to called to preach dude. Got got reverend in, in front of his uh, social media name. By the way, I went and checked him out. This dude shows up to our church, our youth group. Never been here before. Don't know anybody, but he shows up with his, his girlfriend. And I don't know if it was to impress the girl or to impress us or whatever. But the kid got up in the most awkward time and place and gave a loud message in tongues. If you've listened to uh, my stuff on Be Natural with the Supernatural, the Spiritual Gifts teaching, you know I teach that spiritual gifts come at a good time. And tongues and interpretation, tongues are always preceded by a moment of silence. You'll see it. It'll happen in the, in the message. It'll happen in an altar call. All of a sudden, everything just goes silent. You can be in a crowd of 2,000 people and this happen. It just goes silent. It's like the Holy Ghost silences everybody. And then the uh, tongues come. It was like in the middle of service. It was like a time to make a few announcements and a few promotions. And this schmuck stands up and starts going, bah, 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 bah. big old long message in tongues. Uh, the the uh, preacher in the pulpit kind of bows his head. Everybody bows their head, you know, out of reverence and respect. You know, hey, maybe God wants to speak. But after about seven seconds of this, it became obvious to anybody with a clue that this ain't from God. This kid is uh, just talking in tongues. You know, he's got the gift of diverse tongues. He can talk in tongues whenever he wants to. I can do that. You probably can do that. Everybody can do that. I could start talking in tongues right now on this podcast if I wanted to. I have that gift. And he's doing it, but it's obvious. It ain't a message from God. It's a message from him. And the message is, hey, everybody, see me, look at me. I'm here with my girlfriend. So he, he rambles and rambles and rambles, then he stops, and everybody waits for the interpretation. No interpretation. No interpretation. <laughs> the service goes on. Ten minutes later, he stands up and does it again. Same thing. Everybody waits. No interpretation. 
And I wish I could say that was it, but the service goes on a third time. He gets up and does it again. It's like the dude couldn't take, get a clue. What is it? Here's a quarter by a clue. Uh, everybody was throwing quarters at that dude, and he couldn't buy the clue. And I'm sure by then the girlfriend was, like, embarrassed. It's like, <laughs> you know, tongues and interpretation is powerful. And if you're going to do it, you better be sure the power is there. Otherwise, you're going to look like a dunce. And uh, God bless our youth pastor. God bless the youth team and the other people that were there. Nobody embarrassed the guy. They just let him do it. And the service went on, you know, not all was lost, but it was distracting there, you know, when all attention on him, no interpretation. To make matters worse, when the altar call was given, the kid doesn't come up and kneel at the altar and pray. He doesn't pray for other people. Oh, no, he walks right up there and gets on the base. And our base player's like, what? Wait, I practiced for this, and this guy's up there? Wait, what? And finally, somebody uh, went over there and said, uh, hey, man, did anybody invite you to play base tonight for the altar? And he said no, and they said, okay, why don't you, why don't you go down and pray? You know, and he slowly, reluctantly put that base down. But yeah, it was it was about, look at me, look how spiritual I am. Let me get up on that platform, you know. Uh, and, and other things happen. I'm just uh, shortening up the story for you. But yeah, the kid's just trying to be something for God. You want to be something for God? Let somebody give you an opportunity. Wait for the invitation. That's how it works with God. That's how it works with the church. That's how it works with the spirit. Self-promote and watch yourself be demoted. I'm Justin C. Gleason. It seems so clear today. Why not yesterday instead replay? There I go again without having anything to say. I know what I'm talking about. Podcasting, I thought, was a solidarity enjoyment. It's what it is for me. It's just me, my phone, and my headphones, and I enjoy so many podcasts. But for a lot of you, it's like a family thing. Uh, For some of you, it's a couple's thing. Uh, Some of my listeners from our local church here, Justin and Jamie, they said, hey, you are talking about Mike and Renee the other day. You know, on a Saturday night, snuggled up in bed listening to your podcast. That's us, too, except us. It's Friday night. Our Friday night date night is listening to Justin Gleason. I'm like, oh, my goodness. I get listeners uh, that say I listen to you with my kids, and I've got my, I hear my kids saying to themselves, um, you're here to listen. I'm here to talk. <laughs> like three- and four-year-olds repeating that back. So I guess this is becoming a couples and family show. But it's not that way for everybody, and I received a message on Twitter of all places. Just when I thought Twitter was dying, I got a great message, a great message a great, uh, of some feedback from a listener. This is from uh, Devin H. He says, Brother Gleason, my spirit is dull. I pray and I read, but I feel like I'm not getting anywhere. It's getting hard for me to focus on anything at all. My mind is on Jesus and living in the spirit, but I can't seem to focus and be concrete on that. I'm in a very negative atmosphere. I work offshore for two weeks with no spiritual influence. And on day 13 of 14, uh, I feel so near the end, and I don't know what to do. I want to be with my church family on Wednesdays and Sundays. 
I don't mean to be so negative. I just need a word of encouragement and some spirit-filled prayers sent my way. I love your podcast. I love it. I love it. I listen to it while I work, especially your spiritual warfare series. Thank you so much. Okay. Devin, I want, first of all, I want to tell you I prayed for you this morning. I may the Lord uh, just touch you and minister to you and, and uplift you and edify you during this time. You know, work is tough. Work is a, is a curse. It's a, it's a blessing, but it's a curse. God never meant for mankind to have to work and to labor and toil, but because of our sin, God cursed Adam. You know, in the sweat of your brow and toil, you'll work and then return to the dust. So a part of that is feeling the curse. Anytime work gets stressful and hard, just remember this is because of sin. Sin did this to me. Sin made me work. Okay, always remember that. But when work really becomes negative, and it can for anybody, you gotta you gotta up your spirituality. You gotta strengthen yourself, and you gotta be intentional about it. And I've I've done this before the ministry. I was a waiter in restaurants, and let me tell you, that can be a negative environment. I sold insurance for a while. I tried mortgages for a while. I've done a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I even sold uh, vacuum cleaners for a while. And rainbow can really drain your soul. What I want to recommend to you is pray and read your Bible before and after your work shift. If you can't do both, then just do before. Go into it fueled up. And just keep the spirit of prayer in God with you. And when you pray, ask God, Lord, the feelings that I have now in prayer and reading the word, let me have that throughout this shift. No matter what comes my way, no matter who says what, no matter what is done, you know, no matter what the boss is doing or my coworkers doing, let me feel like you are there with me uh, this entire time. And you will be shocked at how well that will go. Because that's a prayer God will answer. He will answer that. He wants to be there with you during your work shift. And you'll learn to live for God and be uplifted and encouraged spiritually during uh, negative environments. You know, there's probably uh, drugs going on. There's probably uh, porn available. There's probably this or that. And you, you can't just expect yourself to stay spiritual and dedicated and consecrated in that type of atmosphere all on your own. You need the strength of the Lord. So uh, do 10 minutes of prayer. I know the best prayer time is when you're not worried about the clock, but when you're working offshore, you're probably working, you know, 12-hour uh, shifts. You know, you got to worry about the clock, okay? Some of us just have to do that. Some of us don't have the luxury of staying at home collecting a government check. Some of us have to get out and work. So pray 10 minutes. You can really get good prayer time in 10 minutes. And then read your Bible for 20 minutes. You can get, you know, three or five, four or five chapters, 20 minutes, sometimes more, depending on how fast you read. You do that consistently before and after your shift, you'll notice a difference. And then keep listening to podcasts. A lot of churches, you know, we have apostolic podcasters out there. There's not... A ton of us, more and more of us are, are coming along, but there's a lot of churches that put their pulpit preaching on, on a podcast. Find them. Check them out. Keep them in your ear. Listen. You're going to be okay, Devin H. Be a loyal listener. We won't let you down. God bless you. Uh, if, if any of you listening to this, say a prayer for Devin. Let's pray for each other. In Jesus' name. Landon Griggs on Instagram, Direct Messenger. He says, this, your married life episode, spoke to my fresh married life. I am hideous, just like Tupperware, and my wife is beautiful and delicate, just like China. <laughs> That's right, Landon. 
uh, man, that was, man, we've received phenomenal feedback on that episode. It really spoke to married couples. You know, the first uh, Peter, it says husbands give honor to the wife as the weaker vessel. Notice it doesn't say she's a weak vessel. It just says weaker. She's weaker than you. She's not weak. She's just weaker than you, the husband. And uh, my wife and I got into a very heated disagreement one night over something silly early on in our marriage. And uh, the next morning I was praying and the Lord spoke to me and he showed me on top of the uh, counter beautiful, nice dishes that somebody gave us on our wedding. And then next to it was hideous rubber Tupperware. God said, if these plates and Tupperware were to fall, what would happen? I said, well, the dishes would break. The Tupperware would be fine. He said, yes. Your wife is like those pretty dishes. She breaks easy, but she's gorgeous. You are like the rubble Tupperware. You're hideous, but you won't break easy. That's the difference between the husband's spirit and the wife's spirit. And you've got to learn to fall in love with your wife's spirit. So that, that's the secret of a happy marriage. Husbands, learn to love the feminine spirit. And wives, learn to love the masculine spirit. Learn to love it. Learn to understand it. And both of it, when it works together, that's how you become an unstoppable force. That's right. Your prayers won't be hindered, Peter said. So, yep, do it. God bless, brother and sister Griggs. J. Nern, J. A. Nern on Podbean left us a nice comment saying, uh, this was my second podcast episode to listen to. It's, it's the one about relationships. She says, I shared it with my husband tonight, and we laughed out loud and enjoyed your message. I'm going to share it with a couple in our church that's been married for six months. It might be helpful. Thank you so much, Jay Nerd. You know, if anything in this podcast, one thing that we have accomplished for sure is we've generated a lot of laughs. Uh, I just love humor. Humor opens the soul. Whether it's on podcasts, preaching, books, posts, whatever, humor opens the soul. And it's good to laugh, and it's, it's nice to laugh, and you need to learn how to laugh. And we're glad we did that, and we hope this episode is continually a blessing for couples, especially newer couples. Okay, uh, from Caleb Barton, another Instagram direct message. He says, hey, Brother Gleason, we've gotten the opportunity to share your podcast with our men's ministry group. We are all big fans of it down here in Winfield, Louisiana. Many nuggets got from it, and I personally love the dating and marriage series you did recently. I love it, man. Keep it up. Brother Barton, thank you. Shout out to the men's ministry, the men's ministry group from the church in Winfield, Louisiana. Thank you, everybody, for great feedback. Can't get to them all. Only do about three or four a month. But uh, we appreciate it. I read it all. It lets me know where you're at. I know a lot of you would rather just listen passively. You know, there's probably some of you, we're, we're good friends, and you've never even told me you listen. I don't care. <laughs> I just like that you're listening. A podcast is a, is a passive listening experience many times. But if you want to send some feedback, I greatly appreciate it. Let's me know where you are. Let's me know where you are. Let's get to some stats for the month of May, May 2021. Coming in at number one across the world, the nation of France. Jean comprends Francais. Parlez-vous Francais. That's all I know. I think I just said I understand French, and I don't. I understand how to say that I understand Fran French, and that's about it. 
France, we love you. Uh, we love the Navakis out there. God bless you. Okay, uh, up into Canada, the beautiful, the great white north. Coming in at number two, British Columbia. And back in at number one, the province of Ontario. Thank you, Canada, for your great churches, your great preachers, and for your great loyal podcast listenership. Down here to the United States of America, coming in at number 10, the first time for this state to ever be in the number 10 spot, Minnesota. Congratulations, Minnesota. I like Minnesota. Minnesota's been good for my family. Uh, If you didn't know this, my grandpa, Wendell C. Gleason, was the uh, professor of music and uh, professor in teaching minor prophets and other famous courses there at Apostolic Bible Institute for many, many years. That's where my dad grew up. Uh, my, my mom and dad met at ABA. Got married back in 1978. Not only that, but Sister G, my wife, she's a Minnesota girl. So Minnesota's been good. Thank you, Minnesota, for your listenership. Coming in at number nine, Georgia. Number eight, Arkansas. Mm, best fried fish in the world comes out of Arkansas. That's right. And number seven, Florida. Number six, Ohio. Number five, Illinois. Number four, Michigan. Number three, California. Number two, everything is bigger and getting bigger in Texas. And number one, my home state, Missouri. Thank you so much, United States of America. We get listens, downloads from every state every month, including Hawaii and Alaska. I love you, America. Lastly, I want to introduce to you a new stat that I've never done before, and I just feel to do it because people ask. They ask me, do girls listen to your to your podcast? I'm like, oh, you better believe they do. <laughs> I know they do. And for the first time, I want to reveal the ratio between guys and girls. But to be honest with you, I set out, I thought, when I did this podcast in the beginning, I thought, you know, I'll get some girl listeners, maybe one or two. It'll be like 98% guys and 2% girls. Uh-uh. Since the very beginning, it has actually been a very close neck and neck st- uh, statistic every month. In the month of May 2021, girls came in at 44% and guys came in at 56%. You watch out. Girls are probably going to surpass the guys. (laughs) This podcast isn't for guys. It isn't for girls. It's for anybody that loves God, Bible, and church. But because I'm a dude, I'm a guy, this podcast sounds really guy-ish. Headbanging music. Slurping coffee. Sometimes I eat. Yeah, I found out that people, uh, they like the coffee slurping, but nobody really likes to hear somebody eat in the microphone. Nobody wants to hear that. Yeah, but sometimes, I, ju- I just can't help it. We do this sometimes during a breakfast break, a lunch break, whenever we get time to, to record, and you just got to do what you got to do, but you better be sure there is always coffee. That's right. Oh, I need to zap that coffee. It got cold. Room temperature. Room temperature coffee's gross. You know, it's getting hot out. It's time to switch over to ice coffee. Okay, uh, thank you, loyal listeners, for great stats. I better turn this microphone off before I start rambling. It's kind of a longer episode. We haven't done one over an hour in a long time. But we took a break from Memorial Day. We had a lot on our minds and hearts to talk about. So uh, just remember, 
Uh, don't self-promote. You'll demote yourself. We'll talk to you next week. Podcasting is the here and now. It is the future. Share this episode with somebody. If it ain't God, then shut up. Shut up.